Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. So we have recently started a partnership with the Angel Harvey Infant Welfare Society that's in Chicago, and we are really pumped about it. We've this spring rallied a few local teams, some of our partner teams. We conducted a diaper drive for them. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But before we did, Alex and I wanted to share a little bit about why we partnered with this organization and, and the truth is, the relationship with the organization, this is crazy, man, but it goes back almost 10 years at this point. We've been doing this. We've had some kind of relationship for a long time now. And it started uh, with the Nutrier Powerlifting Club, right? Elise Klein, who's amazing, the mother of Jack Klein, former philanthropy chair of the club and an important member, uh, I think, of both of our lives. Great human being, great family. They connected us with this hospital, <clears throat> and in that, in in the very first year, what we did was we we hosted some of the school's most successful bake sales in the history of the school to collect money to adopt a family through the holidays at the Infant Welfare Society. So th- that was that was year one, and in our relationship continues to build and evolve. And I think before we go any further, can you just share? Any story, first first that comes to mind of a, a poignant moment uh, from going down to the Infant Welfare Society from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say one that sticks out definitely was the the, the dropping off the gifts, as you mentioned. And I believe it was uh, the, the last time I was involved, so when I was still with Nutrier Which was what, what was that? That would four have been four years ago? Yeah, four years ago. Yeah. Um, maybe even three, but I remember uh, Terry Zaff who shout out to Terry Zaff, we tapped him to play the role of Santa Claus, um, which he was perfect for, not only because he's a big dude. So Terry Zaff, just to add some more color to this, Terry Zaff is 6'6". He's currently playing offensive line at the University of Illinois. Go. And just a really great, nice guy. He is. Um, And I remember him walking into that room uh, with the gifts and the family was there waiting for him. Yeah. And like it, it, it felt like a Christmas movie almost like not to be cliche about it, but like the, the look on the kids faces was uh, just amazing. Like their eyes lit up. I mean, it was Santa Claus, right? Santa Claus was right, right. there bringing them gifts. And um, <sighs> I remember the the gratitude also that the, the mother showed and she got emotional about it. And yeah. like, I was having a hard time myself not getting emotional oh, talking you, to her. You get emotional. I'm an emotional you got emotional when, when we set up the mics today. So that- <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot. Um, yeah, I'm with but- you. Yeah, I, I think just moments like that uh, were really, really stick out to me yeah. and, and will stay with me for a long time. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I think what you just, the color that you just added, it's funny. It's not funny, but every year we've gone down, um, essentially the, the parents in the room are in tears. And it is, it's powerful. And you realize how powerful it is. You think about this stuff sometimes in the abstract. Like, at least this is what what has happened in the lives of some. Is like community service as in the abstract is a nice sounding concept. Raise uh, raise some, some money to buy some toys and some clothes for a family in need. It sounds like a great idea. But but it feels, it, it almost feels like white noise. Would you agree with that? At least in certain communities around the holidays, it feels like everyone's doing something "quote unquote" nice for someone else, which is wonderful. I'm not knocking that, but to but to see the family who's been impacted in a positive way adds some real 
power to it, like the tears of another human being, an adult, tears of gratitude, like holy cow. Anyway, um, in, in a moment, we're going we're gonna to break into a podcast um, with Michelle Benedetto, and she's going to give a little bit of the, uh, the details and the history about the Infant Welfare Society. So please listen through to that. She's amazing. Um, so I won't go too deep into the history, but I'll just give it quickly. I'll give this. It, it's, it's a hospital that serves a community in need, if that makes sense. It is not a big, powerful, it's, you know, it's not Rush. It's not one of the, a big brand name um, hospital. It's just a wonderful place full of wonderful people supporting a community that truly, truly needs it. And those moments, like, like when we drop off, um, when we drop off gifts for a family need, for example, they, that personal connection is just so valuable. I, I, and that's the, I'm trying to relay via voice this thing that you almost have to be there to understand. But here's, the, here's what we're hearing back from them, especially in 2020, 2021, when, when it seems like the world's as polarized as ever. Um, these families who are families of color primarily, um, like recognizing that someone who doesn't know them just cares enough to go an extra mile for them. As we've been told, sort of reinvigor reinvigorates faith in just human nature, which is which is another sort of bigger and, and powerful concept. So you can go as big as you want with it, serving community, uh, breaking down a variety of of potentially negative and held beliefs, but maybe the most poignant of all is like you said, just seeing the look on kids' faces when Santa Claus comes into the room, uh, to see the tears from the eyes of parents. What makes it so resonant to me is the realization that that wasn't going to happen had people who didn't even know this family jumped in. There wasn't going to, in some cases, there might have been a Christmas. It would have been a small one. It would have been a very modest one. Um, and to think that you've just changed the life of a young person in such a meaningful way, meaningful and poignant way, at least in that moment, I don't know. I feel good about it. So at the risk of, of rambling, I probably already have. Thankfully, we have a great podcast editor who can cut this down just a touch. It's you. Oh. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, where's this guy? Can I meet him? Where's, he's, you're going to love him. <laughs> the, uh, okay. So, so that's how our relationship started. It has grown. Now, now what we're doing this spring is we, we made a commitment. After hearing about a concept called diaper need, we made a commitment to the Infant Welfare Society. And very briefly, diaper need, do you wanna jump on that one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's one of those things that uh, is addressed by, um, it, it's something that I think a lot of people maybe don't put as much thought into or yeah. they don't recognize might be a barrier for some people. Yeah, it's uh, not obvious. Yeah, and uh, and it's something that's really necessary, especially when you're talking about the health of an infant or a very, very young child. Like uh, having clean, fresh diapers is something that really matters. And not It's like having clean, fresh water. It, yeah. Would you agree? It's like one of those things where it's like you don't realize it until you don't have it. Exactly, yeah. And so essentially uh, it's not always easy. Diapers can be expensive. They can be hard to find and so for people in certain areas uh and in certain situations they may not have access to those things and it can 
uh, harm the health of their child, of their yeah. baby, and obviously something that we wanted to, if, if we can help correct that, that's a huge thing. Yeah, and right. And I don't know that we can correct it, but we can certainly right. support the families at the society who are feeling it. And and you you made a really good point. I think, again, it's one of those things that you don't even think about. But uh, briefly, and without getting graphic, the you know the, the incidence of rashes and urinary tract infection, infections in, in babies skyrockets um, it, it, when we're there when a family is experiencing diaper need because it's either you, you just don't change it as often or you rinse a disposable diaper and try to use it again and it's just it's it's bad and um, I may have told you about this but there's a study out of Yale University as well that uh, tracks depression in mothers in households with diaper need and it's uh, it's like a major jump so this is something that's affecting the whole family. So as you'll hear from Michelle in the same podcast, as you'll hear from her, uh, you know, the Infant Welfare Society takes a very holistic approach to the health and wellness of a, of a child and the family. And this is uh, sort of one of those ways. So what we did was we found five local teams and organizations and we set a, uh, set a goal for ourselves of 10,000 diapers and we've already surpassed it, which is excellent. I have to give a huge shout out to Form Fitness, which is... I mean, they absolutely crush it every time news. You're, if you're listening to this, you're an all-star. So are all of your people. Uh, they absolutely crush it. Uh, Oak Park River Forest Girls Lacrosse has made their donation already. All-stars. Uh, Eastside Water Polo. Uh, we are picking up on their behalf, I think, later. Uh, excuse me, early next week. Tell me about you. Uh, St. Viator, shout out to the Lions, shout out to the student athletes that I work with every single day. They really came together and actually are still bringing in donations this week. So um, it's awesome. It's great to see. And I'm I'm happy uh, for them and proud of them for everything that they've done. So, yeah, Yeah, that is awesome. And and one thing, and I hope you'll share this with them, Alex, is one thing that we do when we uh, when we get partner teams and we mentioned the good that we're trying to do. Uh, in support of the Infant Welfare Society. But the good we are trying to do alongside our partner teams uh, is equally important. I also got to give a a shout out to Stag Power, Stag and Brian and everybody down in Palos Hills. You're amazing. Um, But the teams that get involved, there's a difference between um, community service and what's referred to as service learning. So yes, like your athletes, Alex, are raising diapers to, to fill this need. They're serving the community through that. Service learning includes um, essentially an in-depth reflection. And that's the thing that I've sent you um, via Google Drive and all of the athletes participating will will essentially be engaging in a reflection to increase empathy, to really get on board with an understanding of why this was important. It's not just because Coach Nadalna said so. You know, it's really getting uh, in, in deep touch with the need and study after study shows that when uh, in that place of reflection and, and uh, intergroup communication, you know, alongside the community service, this service learning idea, odds of serving one's community and continuing that down the road increase dramatically. So again, as with most initiatives of the project, it's, it's we're trying to support a need or, or do good now, but also build future leaders who are also going to do this thing. So uh, really, really meaningful on multiple fronts. Yeah. All right. Well, before we hear any more, uh, before we go to Michelle, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just to um, 
check out the Infant Welfare Society and all the yeah, amazing things that it. they are doing. If you're looking for a place in Chicago to support uh, that is having a massive impact on the community. I, I couldn't think of a better place than uh, the Infant Welfare Society. Um, as you'll hear from Michelle, they just they cover all their bases. They have such a dedicated staff who work really hard to make these amazing things happen. So shout out to all the people there. And I appreciate her taking time out of her day to show us around, introduce us to people and show us all the amazing things that they do for their community. Absolutely. So uh, if you want to, we, we put a little profile together, go check out our YouTube page. We did a partner profile, uh, put a little video together with Michelle as she took us on a tour of the facility. Uh, you can also check out brief overviews that we've we've um, published on teamembrace.net and beyondstrength.net. Um, but yeah, so, so dig into it. And without further ado, here's Michelle DiBenedetto. She is the Vice President of Institutional Advancement at the Angel Harvey Infant, Infant Welfare Society. Uh, she's a rock star, an all-star. I don't know. Every kind. Of, what other kind of stars are there? Shooting star? She's, a, she's all of them. <laughs> all of them. Uh, whatever star you can imagine. She's amazing. Very grateful to partner with her, Michelle DiBenedetto. Uh, my name is Michelle DiBenedetto. I work for the Angel Harvey Family Health Center of the Infant Welfare Society of Chicago. That's where you all are here today. We are a community health center located in Logan Square neighborhood of Chicago. We serve about three, 13,000 patients per year. Wow. And we provide uh, a, a number of services, primary and preventative services for our patients. So we have pediatrics and adult health. We have prenatal we have dental care, we have counseling for children and adolescents, specialty services for children with disabilities, optometry, group classes, and just a wide variety of services for all ages. Um, I love that. And what, I don't want to go too quickly to this. So before I ask more about you, can you tell us, you had some really interesting stories when we did our tour. Um, you, it's 108 years old, correct? Can you yes, that right. color? Yeah, absolutely. So this organization was founded in 1911. And the what was happening at the city at the time was that child infant mortality rates were really, really high. A lot of kids were getting sick. They were dying mainly because of issues with the milk, the unpasteurized milk. And so this organization then came around and founded milk stations around the city. And the idea with these milk stations was that women could bring their babies to to what they called at the time a conference, which is just a big room where a doctor was and a nurse was. Mm -hmm. They could weigh the babies, monitor their progress, work with them to provide clean milk in a variety of ways. And with that, they were able to lower the rates of infant mortality within the city. And that was just the beginning. After that, we've been really incredible about being at the forefront of services to provide for our patients from the beginning. So we look at annual reports from the 1920s and they were already looking at providing mental health services mm. in the 1920s. Yeah. Right. You That's think advanced. about, exactly. Think about even how we think about mental health this day to think about that a hundred years ago, they were talking about mental health in any way, shape or form. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And then we, we call it our legacy of innovation, which just means that we are an old organization. We're over a hundred years old, yeah. but we've always been at the forefront. We've been innovative. We've been making sure that we're meeting the needs of patients from the beginning. So you saw our dental department, for example. We had pediatric dentistry back in the 70s. Hmm. And just a number of examples like that that we have. The latest example is our chat program. That was that fantastic area yep. that you went Love to that. with the tire swings and the great sensory room. And that was 
for us a recognition that our patients, our children, were not being well served with speech and occupational therapies when we were identifying a developmental delay, some sort Mm. of delay in a child development milestone. And so there are resources for kids who are under three. There are resources for kids when they go to school. But in that gap between the ages of approximately three to eight, just aren't that many services. And so Mm. our CHAP program was designed to fill that gap with those really important services. So we're thrilled to have that program. It is unique, it is one of a kind, it is patient-driven, patient-led. We knew that that was something our patients needed and we worked really hard to deliver that. It's amazing. Um, It it really is impressive and and we have, we've got video, we'll share more with people. If anyone's listening and, and interested in this, we can share more. Um, check out, I assume we'll have that posted on our YouTube page or Instagram or something like that, but it's a, it's a really special facility. And I love that, uh, sort of iterative process that it sounds like you've gone through like a recognition of what's needed. Okay. Let's fill the gap. And I love that term too. What's needed, uh, what's missing, fill the gap. What's you know, a constant sort of steady organic growth through, uh, regular evaluation. I think that's, that's a process that can't be, um, over heralded. It's just sort of the way to go. Now, um, you're doing amazing things. You said you serve 13,000 people. Uh, when we were down in the, I think the lower level, you mentioned that you'd already vaccinated 2,000 people in the COVID era. Um, just constantly, it's just I'm, every time we've been here, and Alex is sitting in the room with us, we've been we've been coming down for it. You said eight-ish years or so, the, right. be, the better part of a decade, and uh, r- regularly impressed by the people, the facilities, the whole deal. Um, it's just a fantastic place. So here's the question. How'd you, how did you find your way here? How'd you find your way into this sort of work and here specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I found myself into development work, fun development work back when I was in college. And it was just an internship. It was open. It was paid. And it was what I just started doing because it was open, available, and seemed interesting. And it was a fun development position, very different from the way that I do it now in the nonprofit setting. But it became really clear to me at that moment that anything that I care about, and I care about a lot of issues and social issues and justice issues and rights issues, anything that I care about requires resources to continue Mm -hmm. the work. And so that ultimately, in a nutshell, is my job, is creating the resources and finding the resources, connecting people who care about these issues with people who are doing the work Mm -hmm. in these arena and making those connections. So that's my job in a nutshell. That can look like grants, that can look like individuals, that can look like you know, communications, public relations, outreach, any number of, of activities but that is essentially the core of the work. And so I found myself here after having worked in a leadership development organization that worked internationally. Mm -hmm. And I loved it, learned a lot, met a lot of incredible people. But the work that I was really drawn to because I was doing leadership development work, which is really different, I was really drawn to looking at getting my feet wet with direct services, making sure that I'm in the same place as the people who are providing services to our patients. Mm -hmm. And so I think generally speaking, what I love about this organization is that we are so plugged into the community. And it goes right back to what you were saying about how we're able to provide the services and monitor and evaluate and look at everything. It is because we are just so totally plugged into the community. Mm -hmm. We have members of our C team who grew up in community health care centers. They have their own personal experiences with it. It's not 
it's not an abstraction for them. It's not right. an experience. It is a true lived experience for them. We have a number of people who are essentially called to this work, who are here because they feel compelled and called to serve low income to serve the underserved populations. And that really shines through everything that we do, the decisions we make, the programs that we look at, the services that we provide. And so for me personally, I really was drawn to an organization like that. Yeah. And it was evident when I came in and it has become all the more evident mm. in the last eight years that I've been here. I love to hear that. I love to hear that because so often people are looking for what's the lever to pull, what's the roadmap to success in in all these areas. And and you're identifying, I think, that there is no one single thing. You have to jump into an organization who who has what we often refer to as like a fitness, has developed a fitness for close looking, a constant evaluation, an understanding of the context and needs of your people and your community and not cutting and pasting something that worked in whatever, Houston or Baltimore to, to... our community here in Chicago, um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's uh, it's refreshing to hear. It makes me feel all the more optimistic about this. Can you can you add though, and, and feel free? You don't have to share anything you don't feel comfortable sharing, of course. But um, you mentioned in the in the in the getting of that award. So I'm looking at a framed <laughs> award on the wall right now, the Juggler Award. In the getting of that award, it sounds like there was this really challenging process for a big national grant. If you wouldn't mind sharing more about that. I'd be interested uh, because it highlights <clears throat> it, it, it highlights the need for folks to get involved. Because if I'm not mistaken, and, and I'll let you tell the story, but but it was close to a if we don't fulfill this uh, grant opportunity, if we don't if we don't get the grant, then maybe we have to close the doors or at least drastically reconsider. Is that true? So let me step back a little, just a quick second, to say yeah. that. We everything that we provide, and it's easier if you see my hands right now. But if you look at the fact that we have a cost of service that yeah. is, you know, we have for every single thing that we do, we have a general cost of service. We are reimbursed for some, but not all of those services. But even when we're reimbursed, the cost of service is always higher than yeah. the reimbursement rate. And so that gap mm-hmm. right there is my job, is trying to fill that gap mainly. And so this grant opportunity, like you said, was an opportunity for us to raise the reimbursement rate and to make that gap smaller, Hmm. which was really important for us to keep doing the work that we do. Because like I mentioned, that legacy of innovation is really, it's it's really important for us. And we really want to keep providing services and programs that the community needs. We just obviously were looking for for making sure we were financially stable during that process. And so absolutely. So this grant was a big part of doing that. And the other big part of it is, as always, which hasn't changed since 1911, 1912, when our first volunteers were first raising money for us. That's the auxiliary that you're Mm -hmm. already familiar with. We raise money. Individuals, companies, foundations get involved with us to provide us the resources, to provide us the funds that we need to keep doing this work. Mm -hmm. That was true in 1911. It was true in 2011. It's true in 2021. And it presumably will be true for a long time to come. Right. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that hard? It sounds scary, (laughs) you know, the the constant gap that has to be filled. It would be a lot scarier if we didn't have people who were so committed to our work. Fair. It is significantly less scary because there are people who care so deeply about the work we do. Mm. They feel very passionate about public health. They feel very passionate about health of children and families. I think the last year with COVID has only amplified how important 
the health of our, not only our own health, but the health of others impacts us as a community, mm-hmm. us as, as a society. And so, yeah, I think generally I would say it can be, it can, you know, sometimes can feel like, oh, wow, we want to, we want to do so much, right. right? We know that we would love to do, I have a laundry list of things that we would want to do. And that's in conjunction with what would patients want to see? What would staff members want to provide? What are the things that we want to do? There's a really long list. We could do a lot more. And it's really just about creating the opportunities and the spaces yeah. and the resources to do so. It, it reminds me not to go too far off track, but it reminds me of sort of, entrepreneurship in general, but also probably the changing culture of work in the world. Like, like I said, there's no, there's not a template. It's, it's, um, you, you have to sort of make peace with uh, a constantly moving, constantly growing, expanding and changing environment with that gap sort of omnipresent. It's, uh, it can be unsettling for a lot of people. And, and I hope that this is gonna be a transition in some of the work you do, but um, I hope that people moving forward are able to gain some control over that. I think it, it all begins, you've heard our process before, but I think it all begins with um, wellness habits. So um, our, our folks navigating a complicated work environment or any complicated scenario, a pandemic included, need to look at their physiological health and wellness. Eat, move, sleep is at our bedrock. And then onboarding all sorts of um, growing and evolving therapies and different kinds of support. So anyway, without going too far down that road, can you tell us a little bit about one of the first stops we made on today's tour um, on the second floor with that initiative. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. we have a really wonderful program. It's an Eat Healthy program, Comersano, and it is was developed and is run right now by our chief medical officer mm-hmm. who takes a group of pediatric patients, so kids who have somehow been flagged in the medical floor as having maybe it's high BMI, high mm-hmm. triglycerides, some need for a little bit more attention paid to nutrition, exercise, all that kind of education. And so she runs a six-week group. And not just the kids come in, but the parents come, the siblings come. It ends up being a really, really full room, pre-COVID, a really, really full room of people. And they work together and she does presentations on portion control and labeling and reading and some healthy recipes. There's a nice little healthy snack always. And then they do an exercise component as well movement, body weight, or just even, you know, things like jumping jacks, Zumba. She's done fun things like dance and things that the whole family wants to get involved in. And really just looking at, you know, what are the small changes that we can make ourselves Mm -hmm. that can really have profound impacts on our health? And she does it absolutely thinking about the fact that, you know, not everybody has access to certain resources. It doesn't, you know, you're not going to need expensive gym equipment or really expensive, you know, custom diets that show up at the door. But even things like how do you squeeze in a workout when you don't know what your work schedule is going to be like? Um, Or for kids, you know, there's a lot of neighborhoods. It's not safe to go outside and play and ride a bike. How do you stay healthy when it's not just your own personal choices at that point? It's about saying, like, where do you live? Mm -hmm. What's going on? What kind of jobs do you, you know, there's just all these things that come into play that aren't just about individual choices and control. But having said that, the class is really then about saying, like, what are the things that we can look at and do within that? And she's seen some really great successes. Yeah, it's so empowering. We've talked about this many, many times, but what an opportunity gap that is. Like we don't think of the luxury of going to a gym or the luxury of even like you mentioned, going freely without concern on a jog around the neighborhood, you know, that, that these are luxuries and not everyone um, is afforded. So uh, we've talked about a lot of 
big stuff too. We just, you know, we, we have, we have limited time today, unfortunately, though we'll be back at the Infant Welfare Society in the not too distant future. Um, I, I really want to get to uh, maybe some individual cases. Like you said, you've had some success stories in that, but are there, is there anything that stands out? You have 13,000 visits a year. Uh, you've already distributed 2,000 vaccinations. What's one family, you know, of course, keeping people anonymous that, that you feel like is a true success story? There are a lot. That's a, it's, it's a big question. And yeah. I'm glad to say it's because there are a lot. Sure. Um, we have some, the ones that are coming to my head automatically are just, we've had a couple in counseling recently uh, that one of our one of our therapists had talked to me a little bit about because obviously this has been a really really rough time for people I mean I think everyone has a shared experience of saying that COVID has been a really really rough time and then you know certainly our patients are no exception and and certainly are impacted by it in a lot of ways so um, we've had some really great successes with the kids who are coming in who are looking at, I'm thinking about one kid in general, I don't want to misstate the details of it. So that's why I'm sort of thinking and talking as I'm going sure. around, but um, was a little one who just, you know, needed a lot of help with depression, with anxiety, was just really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. And the therapists work with them on, you know, appropriate, good communication and just a neat number of skills that were needed and really working through and talking about these things and um, really made a difference for this kid and for the family. And so that's just, you know, one story of many sure. within the Eat Healthy program we have kids who have come back from the program and they've you know lost 20 30 pounds 40 mm. pounds really incredible uh we had one three-year-old who told dr portella once saw her in the in the hallway and he wasn't the kid who was in the program it was his older sibling he was just there because they brought him right and he saw dr portella down the hall and said dr portella i eat carrots now <laughs> and so you know at three years old he's he was he was absorbing these lessons yeah. and learning somebody's eat healthy and i just think that's well, that's a that's a great way to start out in, in, in life. If you're you know a three year old proud of eating your carrots. That's a good thing. That's such a good thing. And and what you're doing is community enhancing enhancing in so many ways because you know it's a hospital. There there are people who are sick who have very dramatic needs, and of course you're here to address those. Uh, but the preventative care that we, we've talked about today, like that, you lost twenty or thirty pounds. Like you might have changed that person's life in no insignificant way. And we're talking about like. Uh, literally, just as, as studies would suggest, how long that person might live, uh, complications that might come with obesity, diabetes down the road, all sorts of different things, not to mention the empowerment that comes with, you know, sort of owning a result like that, you know, and, and, and that gets me really excited. That's a lot of the work that we do. But uh, it, it really does remind me, you gave such a great, colorful example of, of the parallel to dentistry how, um, and please push me if I misquote anything, but I think you said um, students who were enrolled in the, um, in the program who are, who are coming here were half as likely, or there are half as many categories in that group. Help me with this. Yes, Just, absolutely. Yeah. So we had a, a dental student who came in and had looked at some of our records in dental, and we wanted to show what we essentially had already experienced and, and knew was that children who come to our dental program really early on in life. And for Mm -hmm. us, the goal is that by the age of two, under two, you've had a dental visit. We want to see those kiddos really early on. And we saw that if you, if a kid had come here that early on and had made regular cleanings, they had about half the number of cavities as kids who had come in older, whether they hadn't had dental care before or had just moved here or whatever the case was. And so we saw really clearly that 
you know, pre- prevention is important. We hear yeah. it. We hear it a lot. We hear it's, you know, the apple a day keeps the doctor away. Mm-hmm. Here, we don't want the doctor to be away, right? right, right. We want you to come here. <laughs> right. We want you to have your doctor's right. visits, but right. have them about primary care and prevention and immunizations and healthy eating so that yeah. later on, you're not, you know, you're not, you know, afraid or it's not a big problem. You don't not want to come to the doctor, the dentist, et cetera. Maybe it's more like have the doc, not keep the doctor away, but have the visit with the doctor go well. Exactly. And and it was such a, you tapped into child and adolescent psychology so well too with the dentist idea. It's like the more you put it off, the more likely it is that when you come in, you're going to have a drill in your mouth or something like, you know, and, and that it just kind of spirals into the, I don't want to go to the dentist situation. Whereas if you can onboard people early, the preventative care, and that maps onto what I was mentioning earlier, if you can get health and wellness habits early on, uh, good dental habits early on, all of these things, um, feed into what is so clear about this place and that it is a holistic approach to health. It's not just trying to treat people who are sick, uh, but it is trying to keep the family, mind, body, and family well. And that feels like a really important place to be. Exactly. And that's, you know, we're our, in our name, we're a health center because right. we really are about that prevention, that primary care before, you know, before you are really sick. I love it. All right. Well, we are, like I said, we are coming back. But if someone wants to learn more about you, more about the Infant Welfare Society, um, where would they go? Is there a, you have an Instagram account, a website? What's the best method? We have all of the above. So yes, our website, infantwelfare.org. We have an Instagram account. We have a Facebook account. Yes, absolutely. Please engage with us. If you want to come for a tour, you can get my email, my phone number. Love to show you around. COVID protocols in place. Sure. Love to show you around. We even have some pictures and things on the website so it can come a little bit more to life for you after what you've heard here today. I think it's fantastic. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you for your work. Thanks for your time with us today. Uh, and we look forward to uh, more meaningful interactions in the future. Thank you very much for coming today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.